Hello, I'm Michael O'Toole, Crime Correspondent with The Star. Welcome to another episode of our special podcast series focusing on the trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. As you will know by now, Mr Hutch was on trial at the Non-Jury Special Criminal Court in Dublin. He is charged with murdering David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel in North Central Dublin on the 5th of February 2016. That's a charge he denies. Two men are in trial alongside Mr Hutch. Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy aren't charged with the murder of David Byrne. Instead, they're accused of helping a crime gang carry out the murder by providing it with cars. Like Mr Hutch, they deny the charge and all three are now on trial. This is now the third week of the trial and joining me to go through the recent evidence is the Star's chief reporter, Paul Healy. Hello, Paul. How's it going, Mick? We're at it again. Yes, and what is probably more out of the ordinary about this podcast as opposed to the previous podcast we've done on the trial is that, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, there there are two men on trial alongside Mr Hutch. They're Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, and they're charged with facilitating the murder by having a crime gun carry the murder. This podcast will focus on those two men because the evidence in the last few days has been about their alleged role. Yeah, so it's very interesting. We've taken, I suppose, a bit of a pause on the trial of Jerry Hutch, and we have uh, begun the trial now of Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. Um, and as you've mentioned, they're accused of facilitating the murder of David Byrne, uh, specifically by providing the crime gang with vehicles. So we know that Paul Murphy is a taxi driver and he's accused of using his uh, Toyota Avensis on that date, the 5th of February, uh, to aid the gang. Um, and then we know that uh, Mr. Bonnie is accused of using his BMW X5 uh, on that date. So... There have been two days of evidence in relation to both men. I think the most recent case, or the most recent evidence, that was about, was that about Paul Murphy? Uh, the most recent evidence was about Jason Bonney, uh, which, oh, which okay. was today. Right. So uh, we, we heard some of the evidence against uh, Paul Murphy um, last week, which I'll come back to. And today uh, we heard um, a significant amount of information in relation to Mr. Bonney. Um, so this is most fresh in your mind. So we'll make yeah. it through that first. We'll perhaps, you know, sort of re- reverse what we'll do. It, yeah. Uh, you know, a countdown, shall we say. Yeah. So look, what I think is interesting to me, and perhaps you might put your honor on and correct me, but uh, it was of interest to me how quickly uh, Gardy were uh, speaking to Mr. Bonney and speaking to Mr. Murphy uh, in the days after the Regency Hotel attack. And... Um, and and the date in which um, Mr. Bonney was subsequently arrested over the murder of David Byrne. I don't know if we ever really heard the name Jason Bonney uh, in connection with, with anything at that point in time in 2016. Maybe you might correct me on that. But uh, this, this, this person was arrested by Gardaí uh, in May of 2016 and he was brought to Ballymun Garda Station at that point, arrested... Uh, over the murder of David Byrne with a firearm. That's what it was referred to as. Uh, and Jason Bonney, he is a man from, from Drimnai Wood in Port Marnock. Um, and he he's now on, on trial accused of facilitating the murder of David Byrne. But at that point, he was arrested over the murder of David Byrne. Um, and we, we heard today... Um, his statements uh, in in details in, in ter- sorry not his statements um, details of his interview his first interview while under arrest on the twenty seventh of May twenty sixteen 
and we heard from a detective sergeant Patrick O'Toole uh, his name has already come up in the trial but uh, he, he took the stand today um, to, to basically speak about the arrests of, of Jason Bonney so he called to Bonney's uh, one of Bonnie's two homes that they're aware of uh, in Newbrook Avenue in Dunamede and, and it was in the early hours of the morning, 20 past 7 in the morning, so a very early wake-up call for Mr. Bonnie. Uh, he was let in by uh, Mr. Bonnie's wife and went upstairs to the bedroom and there in the bedroom told uh, Jason Bonnie that he was under arrest for the murder of David Byrne. Uh, we know then that Jason Bonnie was taken to Ballymun Garda Station and uh, he, he was told that he was, was was under arrest and he was then interviewed. Um, so I, I thought the interview was interesting because it it's uh, <laughs> a source of insight into his attitude and his character at that point in time. So he was being interviewed by uh, Sergeant Ronan McMorrow. Uh, and the first question he was actually asked was, Mr. Bonney, what, what are your thoughts about being here today in this Garda station under arrest? And he said... Uh, this is a direct quote. I'm not being rude here, but are you a councillor or a Garda? <laughs> Which was uh, gave us a bit of a chuckle, but he said, uh, I'm, I'm not happy about it. Um, he went on to say that he, he felt he shouldn't be under arrest and that he was just an ordinary man who worked all his life, described himself as a family man, and he couldn't understand uh, basically why he was under arrest. But, but I think that does give us an insight into the Garda interview techniques. So we know that there are various levels within the guards. You know, there's one, two, three, and four, and four is level four is the the ace interviewers, and they're usually ones who sit outside and watch it remotely. But sometimes, say in the case of Graham Dwyer, there was a Sergeant Peter Woods, Detective Sergeant Peter Woods, who was a level four, but they brought him in to do the hard confrontation. But interviews are carefully planned out, so there's a thing called the rapport phase, which is the first phase, and then the final phase is the challenge phase when you go, I put it to you that you were involved in, so that you know it's all carefully worked out. So you can see that. From Detective Sergeant McMorrow's point of view, he's trying to set up a rapport and just, you know, see what the crack is, basically. And, but they do have to start sort of go in gently. It's not as if they get him up against the wall and say, I put it to you straight away. They, they do it very gently and it's all very, very planned. So that's an open question just to see what sort of reaction that elicits from the, the, the prisoner. Yeah, it was very interesting. And just to explain that... Uh... Prior to this arrest, uh, Jason Bonney's BMW X5 had been seized by Gardy, uh, and uh, he had also been uh, interviewed in his home, uh, but it was a statement that he didn't actually sign, uh, where he was just asked about his movements on that day. You, you mentioned something at the start of the pod about how interesting it was that these people came to the guard attention so quickly after the, the, the murder of David Byrne. So really, it was within a matter of days. Now, you know, you're there, I'm not, but... You know, I would I would guess and assume that that's because there is CCTV evidence and mobile phone evidence that, you know, points guardian in a certain direction. So is that the sort of thing that, that did happen? Why the, the man, these men became of interest to guardian so quickly? Yeah, well, uh, uh, we don't know the exact circumstances. As to, uh, if we know that there's CCTV footage in relation to the vehicle, but I'll come to that. But just, you know, um, at that point in time, uh, the guard that interviewed Mr. Bonnie, he told the court last week, actually, um, that he was essentially there to interview Mr. Bonney. He didn't see him as a as a quote unquote suspect at that point. Uh, like as you say, they're interviewing uh, everybody and anybody who has any association. So at that point, they were asking him about his movements. Uh, but the the guard who was actually questioning him has had told the court that he didn't consider Mr. Bonney to be a suspect. However, the day prior, his BMW had been seized. So clearly, they had cause uh, to take the, the vehicle. 
uh, and and that's something they wanted to ask him about the movements of that vehicle. But anyway, it, just something that that also stood out from the the interview today, which we heard in detail. Again, this is something we didn't know anything about. Uh, that Jason Bonney was was quite on edge during that interview because he felt his life was under threat. Uh, he had received what's known as a Garda information message, and maybe you might be able to explain what that is, Mick. That's when the Garda come to you. I've had experience of this. They come to plenty of journalists have had experience of this, particularly during the feud, 2016, 2017, really were chaotic times. And there were, there were several journalists who did receive these. It's an official Garda form. And it basically says, you know, the Garda have, they're contacting, they're coming to you to inform you that they have a credible, a credible intelligence of a threat to your life. And they give it to you and you sign it. And then you get very worried. So, it's not a nice thing to get. It's it's extremely troubling to get. So I can understand where he's coming from about how anxious he was, and and essentially he said that that the threat was coming from the Kinahan cartel. Did he? He was told uh, he, that the threat was coming from the Kinahan cartel. Although he said he couldn't understand why. He said that he was uh, friends with an individual named Gary Finnegan uh, in school, or he knew Gary Finnegan from school. Um, he also had an association with Ross Browning, who we know is a, a major Kinahan cartel associate, although apparently that was just through boxing. And he said that he wasn't aware of any issue uh, with Mr. Browning. He actually placed, um, I don't know whether I want to say blame, he, 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 he was giving out to Gardy to an extent that he felt that his life was under threat from the moment his vehicle was seized. And from the moment that the guards called to his house and questioned him over the Regency. So he felt that the threat came as a result of, of him being spoken to by the guards. And I'm going to contextualise this. We've written about this in the Star, and I remember at the time, 2016, February, March, April, May, 2016 really was chaotic. And there were a number of efforts by the Kinahan cartel to kill people, many of whom had no involvement. So I can understand where Mr. Bonnie's coming from, because, you know, if he's getting a gem, and, you know, at that stage, the Kinahans were... You know, I suppose they were on a rampage of revenge and they didn't have to go for top tier targets. We know, you know, that they, they made several attempts to kill Patsy Hutch, but there are plenty of other people who they would go after. And I suppose you can understand where why Mr. Bonnie was so uptight because, you know, he's been brought in about this and, and he's got a gym. So it must have been terrifying for him. It must have been. Um, but just in relation to the alleged evidence against him, the reason why Gardy think he was involved that day um and this is some of what was put to him in his interviews. There, there was CCTV footage of the BMW that he owns, uh, and its and its movements did not correlate. Uh, the guards said with what he had previously told them. So he said that he went uh, to this house in Donamid where he was working, renovating on it with with a, a number of other lads, and he said that he was there uh, at the time of the Regency Hotel attack, and that he heard about it on the radio, and that he was there. And as far as he could recollect, he was the only person that drove that vehicle that day. Although he did say uh, in the past that co-workers had access to the vehicle and would use it to, to, to uh, for work duties. But he said as far as he could recollect, he was the only one driving that vehicle. But they have footage of what they say is this BMW X5. And they have it uh, going into St. Vincent's GAA, which we know uh, is the place where the gang that committed the murder of David Byrne are seen uh, running into uh, and this is where the guards say this is where the getaway happened so there were vehicles waiting there for the hit team the hit team got into these vehicles uh, and they escaped 
And that's the that's the core allegation that Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy were driving two of these vehicles, the taxi and the BMW, and that they were sitting there in this car park waiting for the hit squad, the six man hit squad uh, to take them away. So they have footage of allegedly this Jeep at St. Vincent's GAA at the time of the murder. That's what Detective Sergeant O'Toole told the court today. Um, and they also have movements of it on the Hoth Road and at the Donny Carney Church. So they're all significant locations. And they have it in the convoy, which they keep referring to the convoy of vehicles, uh, which include the taxi. And we heard another vehicle which is associated with the Hutch family. And just again to contextualize, if Mr. Bonney says that he effectively he had control of the car that day, you know, you can you can understand why Guardy would want to ask that because if they're going to be showing CCTV footage of the car and he says, well, nobody else had access to that, then you know the judges are going to be asked to you know take make make a judgment on on who was driving that car and if he said nobody else had it then you know that's the way it works so you can see what the the guard they're trying to build as we've spoken about before these building blocks of evidence and that's a key one really him saying nobody else had the car and them going look at the look at the cctv well again key to that uh detective sergeant o'toole said that they had footage of of uh, mr bonnie with the vehicle on the day in question and uh, they specifically have him on uh, this is what he said they have him on CCTV, leaving his home, Port Marnock, that morning. Um, but he was challenged by the defence. Do you have footage of Mr. Bonney in the locations that we're talking about, St. Vincent's GAA and uh, the Donny Kearney Church? And and he conceded that that they aren't able to identify uh, Jason Bonney in those locations. Um, he said that they have him in several locations, although they didn't elaborate where exactly. So the, it seems the defence for Jason Bonney are arguing you don't have uh, our client on tape in in St. Vincent's GAA in the places that you need him to be in order for him to be guilty. You have him on tape leaving his home, but what else do you have? And that, that was kind of teased out a little bit today, although they're going to probably continue to, to argue that in, in more detail later. And just to say, Paul, sorry, that, that will be up to the judges to decide. Yes, yes. We could probably go to, to, to Paul Murphy a little bit. Um, a, a lot of the evidence in relation to him was heard last Thursday, but we haven't actually spoken about that yet. Just before we go any further, I just want to, it's a bit yeah. weird, but we're probably better just for the sake of transparency. Obviously, my name is O'Toole and that detective sergeant <laughs> is an O'Toole and he's no relation, yeah. right? I'm, I'm the, the Nordy O'Toole's and I don't think he is. He actually, he, he actually interviewed me once. He probably wouldn't even remember it. He was coming in asking about a story. <laughs> Some, you know yourself, that happens to you, Paul. I've had it about... 25 times we came in, they come in and, you know, we just take the no comment. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, but uh, he did. He, <laughs> he interviewed me once. It was, a, it was a story that he must still have been in Ballymun. So, uh, yeah. anyway, he's no relation. <laughs> he's not Nordy anyway. <laughs> no, and he's, 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 no. He's, he's very tall and I'm not very tall at all. He is a very tall man. Mm. Um, should we talk about Paul Murphy? Go on. Um, yeah, so look, if Paul Murphy, it's, a, it's, it's the same allegation that, that, as we've already referred to, that he was driving a vehicle which which they allege was part of this convoy that helped the hit team escape. Uh, and we heard a lot about uh, the movements of this taxi on CCTV and then the accounts by Mr. Murphy. Uh, Mr. Murphy said he was driving around Dublin that day. Uh, he was able to account to his movements to a certain degree that correlated with the CCTV, but also uh, he, he stated some things that didn't correlate with the CCTV, uh, according to the guards. Um, they they have him on CCTV at, at a Maxall garage uh, where he says he went in, bought paper, had a sandwich and was sitting there 
Uh, and he he when he was interviewed, uh, he identified himself in much of this footage and said, "Yeah, that's me, and that's my taxi." Um, but where it gets tricky then is uh, in relation to a, a a particular card, a key card that was found in the taxi. So they seized this taxi the same way that the BMW was seized, and inside the taxi, uh, the guards say they discovered a key card which was for uh, a place called Buckingham Village. Now we've already heard a lot of detail about Buckingham Village in the prosecution's cases. This is where the cars all met up, the cars involved in this convoy um, and they have CCTV footage of the taxi and the BMW and the silver transit van which which we believe is the same transit van that the, that the hit squad arrived at the Regency Hotel in. So they have footage of these vehicles coming out of Buckingham Village uh, and going in the direction of the Regency that day, and again to, to be an to be you know an umpire here. That's for the judges to decide if yes. that is. So you know, you know, we we can you know it's not for us up. It's up to the judges. Anyway, go on. It is, of course. Yeah, no. It, what the evidence we have heard is that a BMW X five taxi, a Toyota Avensis bearing the the the, registra- the same registration, which is alleged to be connected to to Mister Murphy, and a silver Transit van uh, leaving Buckingham Village, and we heard about the involvement of a silver transit van as well. Uh, I'm sure that'll go, they'll go into more detail about that. But in relation to the key card, as I was mentioning, the key card was found in the taxi and Mr. Murphy was asked about this in interview and he said that uh, he didn't know who it belonged to. He said that he found it in the door of the car, but he was further pressed uh, because of the footage of, of his vehicle going into Buckingham Village and he said that he had actually used the key card to go into Buckingham Village to meet Eddie Hutch. Uh, and Eddie Hutch, we've already mentioned, is a brother of the monk who was murdered three days after the Regency Hotel attack. Yeah, on the Monday. So he was murdered on the, the Monday the 8th of February at his home in north central Dublin. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that was very interesting. You know, this was uh, the, the first connection that we know about between uh, Mr. Murphy and the Hutch family. And Mr. Murphy told Gardy in interviews um, that he that he was looking to borrow money off Eddie Hutch, and he said whenever you know you would have wanted to borrow money, he knew that you could borrow money from the Hutches. He said, he said you could borrow money from Eddie Hutch, from Jonathan Hutch, uh, and sometimes from Patsy Hutch. He said he arrived at the Buckingham Village area on the fifth of February. He says he met Patsy Hutch. He was expecting to meet Eddie Hutch, but he says Patsy was there. That's. The reason he says that he was there, he was there to try and borrow money. Uh, he's he's saying he has nothing to do with the Regency Hotel attack. And was there some evidence about, was it him who was raising the possibility that his taxi had been cloned? Yes, uh, this is something he said. It was He said he believed it was possible his taxi could have been cloned. Um, we have probably yet to hear more in relation to that. But uh, I suspect uh, this this is what he's saying in relation to, you know, the guards are saying your vehicle was here and it was there. Yes, it doesn't correlate what he's saying. So his response to that is, well, then perhaps my vehicle was cloned uh, because he says he was sitting eating a sandwich reading the paper and that he was going about uh, doing his duties as a taxi man that day. He couldn't remember all of his jobs, um, but his jobs were later put to him. But he didn't have a recollection of all the jobs he did that day. But just an interesting point on the taxi as well. And again, a connection to the Hutch family. Uh, in an in interview with Gardy, he said that he had actually purchased that taxi, that Toyota Avensis from Eddie Hutch. And that he was paying Eddie Hutch back 
on a weekly basis for that. I think it was 175 euro a week he was paying him for a year uh, to pay back uh, that vehicle. So again, a connection to Eddie Hutch. This is somebody that he knew through the taxi business, he said, but he didn't consider him to be a friend, just someone that he knew uh, for many years through the taxi industry. And that was as far as his connection with the Hutches went, is what he said. And that the Hutches would have been well known for effectively selling cars to the taxi trade in Dublin. Yes, they would have been. And also, sorry, on Jason Bonney, while I think of it, uh, he, he too um, had had told Gardy that he knew the Hutches, uh, he would have known them, um, and that he, that he had known, uh, as we mentioned, Gary Finnegan, uh, that, that, that he had connections, possibly tangential connections to the Kinnahan side of things. But but that was it. That was as far as any involvement. He wasn't. Um, he didn't consider uh, himself to be friends necessarily with any of the parties. But he he told the guards that he did know of them and he did know them. Okay. And was there? So that was really the totality of the evidence. It seems very technical, and it's it's really against the evidence is about Mister Bonnie and Mister Murphy in the in the last couple of days. Yes, and I, I, I've no doubt. Look, we're only just started at the moment. We're in a point where we're just hearing uh, the, an issue that is then being debated by both sides. Like the defence are, are have have been grilling some of these guards as to how they carried out their duties that day in terms of note taking and in terms of did you do this and did you do that and and essentially just trying to ask the guards how they conducted their business. But we have we're not we're not even remotely at the stage of where. Um, you know the defense are going to lay out their cases to why their client is innocent in their view, and why the and then the prosecution laying out their case of why they're guilty. Like we're going to go into this in far more detail. We're kind of just hearing, I suppose, the highlights of the evidence against both of these men. But this is the first time we've heard uh, any of this detail really, uh, as pertains to the two of them. Their trial has opened now, uh, the same way that that Jerry Hutches has. And I think I'm going to change my name to. We'll let the judges decide about the the car being cloned. It, it again, you know, all the evidence is we can analyze it and we can talk about it. It's up to the judges, Miss Justice Tara Burns and the two other judges. It is a, a non jury trial, which is why we can do this podcast. So it's up to them. Yeah, and the the great thing about this podcast is we, the, you know, there are things happening in live, uh, in, in live play uh, as this trial is going on. Uh, you know, the Kinnahan Hutch feud has been going on since twenty sixteen, but there have been developments nearly on a on a on a weekly basis. And there was a significant development this week we want to talk about as well, um, and that that's in relation to an individual named Imre Arrakis. Um, you might want to talk about that a bit, Mick. Yeah, it's, so it's important to remember the whole context of this is, as you say, you know, it was actually probably twenty thirteen that it started with the uh, an attempt to murder Dan, uh, Daniel Kinnan over in Spain. Uh, the Kinnans would say that that was the Hutch gang that tried to kill him then, and then obviously Gary Hutch was murdered in S- September 2015 on the Costa del Sol. So, you know, it, it, this thing is not happening in isolation, and the, the wider context is there's a, I mean, a, a really terrible gang war between the, the Hutch and the Kinnan groups. Up to 18 men have been killed. Now, the last murder was in January 18. But there have been quite a few plots since then and Gardy have, have intercepted. I mean, I interviewed the, the former assistant guard commissioner, John O'Driscoll, who would have been in charge of serious crime. And he, I think he, I think he said there were 75 hits since February 2016 that the guards have prevented. Most of them would have been in relation to the Kinnan Hutch feud. And one of them was in, uh, was it, I remember covering it, it was May, uh, it was 2017, and this guy, he's an Estonian national, Imre Arrakis, arrived in to Dublin airport, went around Dublin and then went to a house in Blanchardstown. 
And it, while he was in the house in Blanchardstown, the Garda Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau and the Emergency Response Unit, the famous SWAT team, raided this house and arrested him. And the hills of the hunt, he was he was done for, uh, I think it was conspiracy to murder, and he got six years. Now, the, you know, there have been other investigations into this man. He would be well known, I suppose, to the police in Estonia. And just while we were doing this pod, while we were recording this pod, the news has come through that the the High Court in Dublin has ordered his extradition to Estonia to face very serious charges. I think it's in relation to firearms offences in relation to an attempt on it. Is it a pop star or something? Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting case. Apparently, as uh, alleged involvement in relation to 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 that. Uh, you know more about it than I, uh, as my head is all on the Hutch trial at the moment. But uh, I can re- I I can certainly recall his his involvement uh, in the. Uh, in the Mago Gately incident and, and, and in relation to uh, him being hired by the Kinahan cartel. But this is a whole new thing from his, from his past, uh, you know, his involvement allegedly as a hitman abroad. Yeah. And I mean, just to go back to the 2017 thing, you're right. It was, there was a plot to murder James Mago Gately, who would be very close uh, to the Hutch family. He survived one hit in 2017 in Kulak when he was shot and he was wearing body armor and he survived, but there was another attempt by the cartel to, they, the cartel essentially became aware that he was in Northern Ireland and they sent Arrakis to Dublin with a plan to, to bring him up to Belfast to carry out this murder. And there was, you know, serious reggies carried out on the, the, the accommodation where Mr. Gately was staying in Belfast. So it was a full plot. Guards intercepted it. One of the interesting things about that is we know all about these EncroChat phones you know, these encrypted phones. And there was an encrypted phone at the scene when the, the DOCB, the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau heads and the ARU burst in. And to the credit of one detective guard in DOCB, he saw the messages on this phone, right? And one of them said, kill Mago Gately, right? And we know that encrypted phones like this, they auto-delete. And he took photographs of it with his own phone. So that was a like a screen grab that you, that you and I would do in a story. So that was... To be fair, that was really good thinking by him, and that is evidence that the guards have, and they want to prosecute Daniel Kinnan for for his alleged role in that. So it, it's really hard to underestimate how important that operation was, and the, the you know the fair play to the guard for his quick thinking there. But Arrakis was done; he got six years, so his time in the Irish court, Irish uh, judicial system is done, and he's now been extradited to Lithuania to pr- for providing uh, allegedly providing guns to a gang over there. So it'll be very interesting to see. He can appeal it, but you know. I think he has about 14 days to decide whether or not he fights it. But, you know, there are plenty more twists and turns in that case to come. I suppose it doesn't show maybe the desperation and the level at which the Kinahan cartel was willing to go to to try and kill their targets that they that they hired this man who, well, I suppose like he's kind of, I wouldn't call him a celebrity, but he was infamous. He was known that they ended up hiring this uh, this interesting individual. Like at what point of desperation were they at? Uh, that they were hiring someone like this, so that was that was more than a year. So that was, it was probably sixteen months after the the Regency attack. An awful lot of Kenyan food soldiers had been put behind bars. Behind that, I mean, we've done this story countless times. I've counted up about fifty five Kenyan heads who are in prison. Could be more because I've seen figures of about seventy. But we we uh, we had a threshold of a certain. I think it was five years and above. Maybe some were done before that. But an awful lot of big players, you know. The guards were under pressure after the Regency. 
you know, there was huge international reputational damage, I think, to Ireland under the guards because of what happened at the Regency. And they were under real pressure. I mean, I remember I was interviewed by Sky News and BBC. So all the, we're all over here in Ireland. And there was, it, was, it wasn't just Irish news, it was international news. So it was a, a fair bit of pressure on the guards. And, you know, it, they really kick-started after that. And they did, you know, start to have successes in the middle 2016. And there were dozens of people, of men brought before the courts and locked up. So you're either locked up or a significant amount of kin and heads have done a runner because it's just too dangerous for them to be in Ireland because they're going to be arrested themselves. So it, it was significantly weakened and you can understand why they had to bring try and bring somebody in from the outside to, to carry out the murder that they wanted. I think that there's so much to discuss. I think we should possibly do a pod on the uh, on the whole feud and, and where we are now with it some other day because there's still so much to discuss. When something like this comes up, you, you, you just immediately think of a hundred questions, you know, uh, there's lots of, I'd like to ask you about the feud. Definitely. And, you know, you and I really, we, we covered it really from day one. I mean, I can remember, I don't know if you were in the newsroom and Gary Hutch was dead. We heard that an Irishman had been murdered in Spain. I think it was the 25th, 24th of September, 2015. And it was just, you know, you heard about the Irish fella. It's very interesting. But suddenly the name Gary Hutch came along. It just, we just reached it on the ether and that brought it up to a whole level. And really, from from that day up to middle of 2018, it just never stopped. So you, I think you're right. There, you know, we could have several pods on, but up to the up to the regency and after the regency, because so many things happen. So yeah, man, that might be interesting. But I I think that probably might do us for the day. One for another day. <laughs> yeah, one for another day. <laughs> Paul, thanks very much, and thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to Shattered Lives. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, feel free to listen to our back catalogue. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. This series is produced by Kieran Bradley and is a production for Reach.